0: Mr. Angevy. Do sit down. Thank you. Take the weight off the feet. eh? Yes. yes. <laughs> Lovely weather for the time of year, I must say. Enough of this gay banter.
1: And now, Mr. Angeli, yeah. you <laughs> asked us to advise you which job in life you were best suited for.
0: That is correct, yes. Well, I
1: now have the results here of the interviews and the aptitude tests that you took last week and from them we've built up a pretty clear picture of the sort of person that you are. And I think I can say without fear of contradiction that the ideal job for you is chartered accountancy.
0: But I am a chartered accountant.
1: (laughs) good. well, back to the office with you, then.
0: No, no, no! You don't understand. I've been a chartered accountant for the last 20 years. I want a new job. Something exciting that will let me live. Well, chartered accountancy is rather exciting, isn't it? Exciting? No, it's not. It's dull. Dull, dull. My God, it's dull. It's so desperately dull and tedious and stuffy and boring and... Desperately dull! Well, uh, yes,
1: Miss D'Angerville, but you see, uh, your report here says that you are an extremely dull person. (laughs) You see, our experts describe you as an appallingly dull fellow, unimaginative, timid, lacking in initiative, spineless, easily dominated, no sense of humour, tedious company and irrepressibly drab and awful and uh, whereas in most professions these would be considerable drawbacks in
0: chartered accountancy they're a positive boon. (laughs) Don't you see I came here to find a new job, a new life, a new meaning to my existence. Can't you help me? Well, do you have any idea of what you want to do? Yes. Yes, I have. What? Lion taming! (laughs)
1: <laughs> yes, yes. Of course, it's a bit of a jump, isn't it? I mean, uh, Chartered see to lion taming in one go. You don't think it might be better if you worked your way towards lion taming, say, via banking No! Or... No, 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 no! I don't want to wait!
0: But nine o'clock tomorrow, I want to be in there taming! Fine, fine. But uh, do you... do you have any qualifications? Yes, I've got a hat. A <laughs> hat. Yes, a hat. A lion taming hat. A hat with lion tamer on it. I got it at Harrods. And it lights up saying lion tamer in great big neon letters so you can tame them after dark when they're less dropping. I stroppy. see, I see. And you can claim reasonable wear and tear, switch it off, during the daytime. I'm reasonable wear and tear as allowable professional expenses under paragraph 235 Yes, yes, B yes, of yes. The...
1: I, I do follow the strategy, but you see, the snag is If I now call Mr Chipperfield and say to him, "Uh, Look here, I've got a 45-year-old chartered accountant with me who wants to become a lion tamer. His first question is not going to be, does he have his own hat? (laughs) He's going to ask what sort of experience you've had with
0: lions. Well, I've seen them at the zoo. Good, good, good. Yes, little brown furry things with short stumpy legs and great long noses. I don't know what all the fuss is about. I could tame one of those. They look pretty tame to start with. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and these, um, these
0: lions, how high are they? Well, we're about so high, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They don't frighten me at all. <laughs>
1: really? And uh, do these lions eat ants? Yes, that's right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, well, Mr Anchovy, I'm afraid what you've got hold of there is an anteater. A what? An anteater, not a lion. You see, a lion is a huge, savage beast, about five feet high, ten feet long, weighing about 400 pounds, running 40 miles an hour, with masses of sharp, pointed teeth and nasty, long, razor-sharp claws that could rip your belly open before you could say Eric Robinson. And they look like this. (laughs) Time enough, I think, for a piece of wood. The lodge. Now, shall I call Mr Chipperfield?
0: Uh, uh, no, 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 no. Uh, I think your idea of making the transition to lion taming via easy stages, say, via I- insurance. Or banking. Or banking. banking, banking, yes. Yes, banking, that's a man's life, isn't it? Banking, travel, excitement, adventure, thrills, decisions affecting people's lives. Jolly good. <laughs> well, um, shall I put you in touch with the bank? Yes, fine. Uh, no, no. No. <laughs> Look, uh, big decision. I'd like just a couple of weeks to think about it. Uh, you know, I uh, don't want to jump into it too quickly. Well, maybe three weeks. I'll, I'll let you know definitely then. I just don't want to make this definite decision. No, not, not well, really this something.
1: is just one of the you know, all too many cases on our books I do then I don't of chartered do accountancy. I don't do then I don't the don't only do. way that we can fight this terrible, debilitating it. social disease like is by informing it. the general public sure, yeah. of its consequences, I could, I could by showing it, young people... I could do it just for a bit, just for a week, and (laughs) that it's just not worth it. it. So please give generously to this address the League for Fighting Chartered Accountancy 55 Lincoln House, Basil Street, London, SW3.
2: For listening in. Cool. So uh all right, so we're live now. Cool. Um anyway, yeah. So the the governor of Virginia was uh the topic we were discussing and like the the story started out as that there was like a yearbook picture of him in a either he was in a Klansman outfit or he was uh a person wearing blackface in this picture that was in his yearbook and at first he was like, uh, yeah, that's that's uh, I forget what he, he said, but it, he basically implied that he was one of the two. And then afterwards, uh, he said, no, th- I'm not in that picture. That photo is accidentally on my page. And All right. and then so people were like, oh, you need to resign. Like uh, you need to step aside because you're a Democrat and you're, you know, you don't have you can't represent black people if there's a picture of you from from college. Uh, wearing blackface, or in a Klansman outfit. Um, and so, all right, fair enough. And then the lieutenant governor, who would have replaced him if he resigned, uh, this lady comes out and she was like, I was at the 2004 Democratic National Convention and, uh, this person sexually assaulted me, the, the, the lieutenant governor of the state. And Northern. so now the Democrats are like, well, we gotta believe all the victims. So, uh, <laughs> I, don't guess, believe everyone. I guess we'll do uh, the attorney general and the attorney general was like, oh, well, in college, I went for Halloween dressed up as a black rapper and I wore blackface and they're like, all right, never mind. <laughs> Nobody resigned. Nobody resigned. Just just, crazy. I, I
3: don't remember if it was what sort of uh, got all this started, but there had been uh, the, the governor had been on some radio show. Uh, this was after the New York, uh, abortion decision. And he was basically implying that, well, you should like, after, after the child is born, the parents can sit down with the doctors, discuss things over and then decide what needs to be done. Like he was like basically saying, oh, you can just, you know, we can, we can take care of the baby, uh, after it's born like wow! it's too late at that point buddy
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs>
2: wait Michael you're opposed to postnatal abortion
3: um if it's if it's after the
2: age of 18 yeah woman's uh, buddy, I, I, woman's Well, my choice. standard is is the age of 40 I think at the age of 40 you've really probabilistically you've become a real human being I have I guess that's, the, that's like the Roman tape or a woman yeah Right. At that point, you, so you like are a both, over a decade to prove um, myself past post-abortion, post-natal abortion. Uh, <laughs> and you can be a Roman
4: senator as well. So That means all of us could still be aborted by your standard.
3: Well, yes. yes, yes. <laughs> so uh, keep the podcast good because uh, yeah, well, your life depends on it.
2: Let's keep in mind that it's your parents to make this decision. So don't disappoint your parents. I think is uh, the uh, yeah. most important criteria yeah. for avoiding a postnatal abortion, uh, <laughs> which is only legal in the state of Virginia, which is crazy. But here we are. Um, all right. Welcome so I'm 2019. Everybody. Okay. I've got a bit of a rant here. Uh, okay. I've I've tweeted out about. Logging onto Patreon and having to fill out a captcha where you have to select images that are to helping train AI robots, but really, I'm having I'm I'm like struggling. It's saying select all images with a storefront, and then there's like images where it's like I, it's not clear to me that that's a storefront or if that's a residential property this or if that's scary. an industrial property. This means that
3: the AI is becoming smarter than us.
2: Yeah. Okay. I got in. I got in finally. The
3: the marginal utility of uh humans clicking on anything is quickly diminishing. Evaporating.
2: But my mi- my bigger gripe with this is that you should only have to do that if you're logging in with a new IP or like something completely different, like yeah. a new web browser. Yeah I've logged yeah. in here on Patreon with the same web browser for I, I don't know how many months we've been doing a Patreon. It prompts me every single time to log in and enter or er, the uh, captcha. It's like yeah. That's so a, uh, I tweeted at them and, and they didn't respond. So I think yeah. that it, I don't care about the fiat part. I love receiving fiat through Patreon and I don't care <laughs> about the censorship part because we're not <laughs> saying anything controversial. But I do care about this capture problem and it's going to force us to go on to BTC pay server and uh, get on uh, the um, Jeff Andrew plug in uh, and Libre set ourselves Patreon. up there because I I, I can't put up with this capture anymore.
4: Yeah, I mean, it wasn't the fiat money. It wasn't the central banking. It wasn't, you know, the boom bust cycle. <laughs> it was the captures that drove Pierre to do this. Yeah, it, it, they could have stopped all of this. It
3: didn't have to have. Well, remember, Bitcoin is, is basically hash cash. It is. <laughs> this is, it is this is deep into the just like meta fabric of Bitcoin. Sound money <laughs> is just the first
4: layer. You just start well, feeling isn't that, it back and then... isn't that um that used to be Adam Back's Twitter buyer. It would say he said Bitcoin is hash cash extended with inflation control. Yes. True facts.
2: <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm posting it on said Patreon. Patrons only.
4: Oh, you know what else? Sometimes you get funny behavior with captures if you're using a VPN. Sometimes you get that. Right,
3: mm. the, it, which is I, I really don't like. I, I kind of understand. Uh, but at the same time, I think it's a, a bad precedent uh, because it basically, you know, disincentivizes people for from having privacy. But of course, the, the companies that are doing this are the ones that don't want you to have privacy. Um, yeah. So yeah. It's, it's in their so yeah. interest. like the, and, the and other day, there, I was, yeah, I, I was on. on tour you know, trying you know to, to to look stuff up, um, and yeah, I went to Google uh, to do a search. I actually, what I was I was trying to just make a, a search, but I wanted it. I wanted to try to get a search that was like you know the least amount of baggage associated with it. So I was hoping you know if you got on tour, uh, it'd be like you'd get the 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 most sort of uh, quote unquote objective uh, Google uh, result. And uh, it wouldn't even let me get to the page because it was just like uh, it was just complaining about me being on tour
4: because there's there's no
3: ads they can give me so
4: ah uh, yes yes
2: that could be I it would have
3: been high if they all they had to do was give me a lightning invoice I would have paid it <laughs>
2: <laughs> they could have oh, stopped this along those lines uh, there was an interesting uh, tweet about right now your your lightning pub key is like one identity. But there's no reason why you couldn't do a uh, like hardened uh, uh, hierarchical deterministic mm-hmm. thing to have an, an identity for each website uh, oh, yeah. using your Lightning node, and then you can be like paying for things, but also like doing subscriptions and and things like that. So, right, and uh, each right.
4: child would do for different things, right?
2: Right, and so that that means that you would have like a single sign-on thing. Uh, that has excellent uh, privacy. You don't reuse the same identity in different places. Um, and you can selectively reveal information about yourself, whether it's like your shipping address or your, your name or your age or whatever. Like all of that could be set up in this like macaroon type, you know, uh, cryptography so that uh, essentially you can really control your, your data and privacy in a very granular way that you couldn't do before.
4: Yeah, I think that's
2: yeah, and then pretty cool. The, the the incentive, like to me, the the problem with one of these things is always like, how do you get the network effects and get people onto it? Well, in this case, you do it by creating a ultrasound money uh, with an instant payments network that is completely permissionless, <laughs> right? Oh, like, oh, that's where do we get moves, one of those? <laughs> yeah, so the, it's like a, the great way to. Uh, create both this identity network, but also this payments and money network. Huh.
4: Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, Brian, uh, what's his name? Brian, I forgot his last name. He's pretty into that whole identity thing as well. I, I. I to be honest, I don't know as much about it. Um, but I, I just know
2: that, like, I, I, I don't trust these companies. They buy and sell your data all the time. Um, it would be great if we had the ability to like withhold our data from them, Mm -hmm. but also not be massively inconvenienced all the time, right? Like, yes, Amazon knows my shipping address perfectly. Okay. Like I don't need to be prompted for it every time. And I don't need like some crazy legislation, like in Europe with like GPDR or whatever. GDPR, yeah. Yeah. It's like, no, just just, let's, let's use some good software engineering and some good cryptography and, and then the network effects of lightning and let's, do something much better. But yeah. Anyway, that's, that's my, my right there. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And
4: I think the other thing is services. We will see services who start up that now don't just intentionally take less information. So that's a yeah. good thing as well.
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, all right. So I guess we'll start the uh, podcast. <laughs> uh, uh, I'll
4: start recording then you're you want me to do audacity on the side?
2: Uh, you're welcome to. Honestly, I won't use it unless something horrible happens on the YouTube. You just live the Google Hangout. Yeah, okay, uh, because cool, cool. Uh, YouTube is saving all of this. And then I just download the YouTube video with uh, the audio cool, cool. and yeah. Cool, cool. Um, okay, cool. Yep. Uh, welcome to the Noted Bitcoin Podcast. Today, our guest is a very, very, very special guest, uh, Stefan Levera. Stefan, how are you? Thanks,
4: Pierre. It is a pleasure to be on the show with my favorite Bitcoiners. I'm a big fan of you guys, and uh, it's a great honor to be on the show.
2: Yeah, sure thing. Yeah, thank uh, you for being and- here.
3: I'm, I'm glad that you're here so we can just, you know, air grievances directly uh, to each other for everyone yeah. to hear. <laughs> yeah, trying. that's right.
4: We can have like a debate episode. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well,
3: you know, we, we have this, you know, big beef going on
2: what I want to start with is uh, how we first like met on Twitter, probably like in 2014 2013. Yeah, around there. Yeah. Um, And I just I I remember, I think I remember like your profile picture like you were on vacation somewhere. Um, But in any case, uh, we 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 agreed on like everything. So uh, we were quick Twitter friends, retweeting each other all the time. Uh, And those were Accountant that feels like so long ago.
3: What? what was that, Michael? <laughs> like accounting nerds finding each other. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> yes, that's the true.
2: other thing, you... too. Yeah, uh, <laughs> your 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 day job is as an internal auditor. Uh, I, I worked as an external auditor for a little bit uh, at Deloitte, but that was also something we had in common, for sure. Yeah, and I Obviously. worked at Deloitte back then as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Wait, so were you in the, like, Yammer group? Oh, I didn't think about that. I never
4: thought to join that. Um, But obviously, as I I started that
2: Yammer group, uh, and... I
3: thought you guys had met on the the internal...
2: No, I don't think we did. I think it was on Twitter. We just met externally. Yeah, yeah. Because I think we'd met, like, when I was still in college. Uh, It's funny that, yeah, Deloitte didn't really bring us together at all. That would (laughs) have been cool to go do, like, uh, do six months in Australia and meet Stefan talk Bitcoin and do accounting. I don't think they'd be very happy if they found out that they're bringing Bitcoiners together. Yeah, no, that's a terrible move. We know what happens when you bring them together in real life. Um, speaking of which, uh, we hope to meet you in real life at some point soon. Uh, it's been way too long. Yeah, definitely. Uh, well, potentially
4: at Baltic Honey Badger. So I might meet you there, Pierre. Um, and for you, Michael, I'm not sure. It depends what your kind of schedule is yeah, with the conferences. Well, you're always
3: welcome in Texas. so
4: yeah, I should. Uh, I should uh, come up. I, I just. I have no leave at the moment, so I'm like trying to get what, some what leave about work
2: in August for Bitblock Boom Conference.
4: Oh man, I'm already like trying to apply for like no pay leave for some others for some other stuff. All right, so it's kind of, all right, fair enough. I'd love to. But I, well,
2: just, I'll still shill it for our audience, which is that uh, the Bitblock Boom Conference is the second conference that's been organized uh, in Dallas by, um, Michael, help me remember their name. Gary names. Leland. Gary Leland. Uh, okay. Yeah. Not. And, um, Tony Sakala is going to be involved again this year uh, in some capacity. And, um, the thing about it is that like last year when we were contacted, we were like, who, who are the crypto cousins who are, uh, uh Tony and Gary. Uh, and like, we were both from Texas, but we'd never, heard or met these guys before. And so like, I was kind of like skeptical uh, of the conference. And then we we went, and we spoke there. And like, we got to hang out with a bunch of different people. We met Gary and Tony and I was like, Hey, these guys are just like perfectly normal Bitcoiners. Uh, And like, Gary's got a successful e commerce business with uh, basketball equipment and uh, general sports equipment. And he did a fantastic job of organizing the entire event. All the logistics—he's a pro at that. This isn't yeah. the only event that he puts together. The logistics were perfect. Everything went off without a hitch. The location was excellent. It was by the airport. It was at a nice hotel. Uh, in any case, they're doing it. Doing it. Uh, Gary is organizing it again uh, this year in August, and basically. Uh, How the timeline is going to break down is on Friday, I'm going to do a lightning workshop. We're going to talk about how lightning works, how to get set up on lightning. We'll get people set up on lightning. People will come with their laptops or their phones um, or their desktops if they want to do like an old school LAN party uh, style. (laughs) Why not? Minus Um, points if you do that. Yeah, seriously. Someone's going to bring a server rack. (laughs) Uh, well, you it, know, it, you
4: were just talking about how you need like RAID and ZFS and stuff. <laughs> so, you know, maybe. Yeah,
2: you and I'm doing that on a laptop, but uh, it should generally, generally be done, yeah, on a server. Uh, get some enterprise-grade lightning routing going. Um, so, yeah, we'll talk about all of that on Friday. And then Friday evening, we will be having the second annual Satoshi Nakamoto S- dinner uh, hosted by... The president of the Nakama Institute, Michael Goldstein. Howdy. Uh, and that last year, we had eighty-two people come. We went to one of the finest Dallas steakhouses, and it was a—it was the craziest evening I've spent with Bitcoiners. Uh, and we stayed Which up like <laughs> two or three in the morning. Yeah, at the hotel bar. I mean, both uh, You're up yeah we're not that late yelling at each other about monetary economics uh it there's just there's there's nothing that compares to that um and yeah we well hopefully we can get even more people this year i think that if we go above 80 we got to go out of a steakhouse we got to find some figure out something different what i'm thinking is like we uh rent a ballroom in the hotel and that can fit like 200 people and that way we don't have any space issues and we'll just get a bunch of meat, a bunch of beef, fatty red meat served up by a caterer and uh, or a, a barbecue joint or something like that. Um, and that'll be a lot of fun. So I think that's the plan this year. Uh, and it'll kind of just depend on the signups. If there's fewer than 80, then we'll just go to the steakhouse again because that was fun. Um, and it's a lot less work for me to organize. We'll see. <laughs> Uh, in any case, after the Nakamoto to dinner, uh, you'll have to wake up hungover and go uh, either see speakers talk or hang out with the speakers and hang out with other people at the conference. Uh, you know, outside of the auditorium, there's going to be like a designated uh, unconference area where you can hang out and talk Bitcoin with people you want to talk Bitcoin about. Uh, so you do that. Um, and then... Obviously, we'll be doing lunch together and dinner together again, uh, and then on Sunday uh, they're going to do a, a brunch. The brunch last year was at like this Mexican place across the street, and it was pretty good. Uh, and the the company was excellent. Uh, they're watching a soccer game. Do you remember what that was, Michael? Yeah, it was the, it was the World Cup finals. Yeah. Okay. The biggest soccer game of
3: every four years.
2: Yeah, lots of great <laughs> sports ball at the uh, brunch, uh, but. In any case, um, yeah, sign up. You can use the promo code SNI, and that'll give us uh, credit for having uh, referred you. And Michael will be speaking there. I'll be speaking there. Uh, do you, Do we know who else is? Uh, uh, Peter McCormack's going to be there, correct? Yeah. So Peter McCormack has a better podcast than Stefan Laveras, and uh, <laughs> yeah, he's right. going to be there. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And so we'll say, uh, Fedean, a whole lot of podcasters there. Oh, uh, Marty Bent, who also has a better podcast than either Peter (laughs) McCormack or Stefan Uh, Levera, will be there as well. If you like Bitcoin (laughs) podcasts,
3: this is the event to go to. It's like the
4: Bitcoin podcast conference.
2: So, Stefan, we'll have to make sure that we have like a time period so that we can do like an international Bitcoin podcasters with... Like Marty and Peter will be there in person, Michael and I will be there in person and we'll have you uh, come in from Australia and we will do like one of those big crossover episodes where, or it's like the Avengers, you know, like where all the The most ambitious crossover. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, uh, Oh, and uh, Ray Redacted will be there, Ray, he, he was there last year. And I was really impressed by his talk. Uh, he focuses on like InfoSec and OpSec. And he had like really good advice about how to help uh, protect yourself from uh, hackers and from people trying to steal your Bitcoins. Because we we talk about the friendly scammers, you know, who lull you into buying their retarded shitcoin uh, and stealing your Bitcoins from you that way. But there's also the not nice scammers who actually try to hack your systems or try to fish you out of your Bitcoin, etc. Um, so the, the, the the unwitting scammers who
3: uh, just didn't know enough about setting up their own systems and you have to, you know, trust that third parties are a security hole. So,
2: yes, exactly. And they might fake their death or whatever it is, and then you're out your Bitcoin. Um, so Ray, Ray's talk was excellent. Uh, you should attend just for that alone. Uh, and then Justin Moon will also be there. Uh, Justin runs the Biddle Bootcamp, which is an online uh, Bitcoin and Lightning software development bootcamp. Uh, I think that right now it's uh, definitely shaping up to be the best programming bootcamp for people who are enthusiastic about Bitcoin and Lightning. So definitely go check out Biddle Bootcamp if you're interested. Uh, if you go to Biddle Bootcamp, we on, he was on, huh? Uh, yes, I don't um... remember what episode he was on, but yeah, he was he was on fairly recently. Um, and if you go to biddlebootcamp dot uh, com slash hashtag noted n o d e uh, d, then we'll get credit for having referred you, and, and you get a discount, hmm? and you get a discount, and you get a discount. That's right. Let me make sure it still works since I'm advertising here. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Put yeah <laughs> uh hold on oh the noted discount has ended. oh man, he's gonna get an earful over this. I can't believe that Justin would do this to us all right <laughs> Justin's Justin's scamming this is what scamming looks like
4: for yeah me. see he lulls you in and, and then, then he
2: sells you this shitcoin boot Ah, <laughs> uh, I just got fished uh no i'm kidding uh we'll we'll figure out uh shit we'll old figure... shit camp you know what don't <laughs> don't bother with our uh referral code just go on build it's worth the money it's worth the money yeah. uh give justin extra money so that he can grow the business like that's the goal here is that uh if we if if it's valuable to train new developers in bitcoin and lightning uh then that should that industry should grow in and that, that you know they got to have revenue to grow. Anyway, uh, so go check out Biddle Bootcamp. Justin Moon will be there at the uh, Bitblog Boom Conference, and it'll be fun to get drunk with him. Uh, and I'm sure that there will be more speakers coming out soon. Uh, there's there's a lot of quality uh, thought leaders in Bitcoin at, uh, nowadays, so it'll be a lot of fun to hang out. Uh, and we'll meet lots of new people. Like last year, we met lots of new people from all over the world, some people from like Chile and New Zealand, uh, and Europe and Canada, et cetera. So uh, it it attracts a very wide crowd. And it's like Bitman
3: brings some pork with him if he uh,
2: if he visits. Yeah, well, I, I hope Bitman's coming.
3: I hope there's some I'm, I'm sure there's some kind of customs thing, but like, yeah, i want to fry his pork.
2: If you attended the first Nakamoto Institute dinner, I think that you should almost legally be obligated to attack, attend the second. <laughs> I believe that's correct. <laughs> not yes, like- that's, that's right. Look, I'm not I, a I, lawyer- I don't think that you should be arrested or anything, but you should have a really good excuse for why you can't come to the second one.
3: Look, I'm not a lawyer, but I did take a constitutional law seminar with Judge Napolitano, and
2: you are correct. Actually, <laughs> it, it says it right there. It's black on white. It's the letter of the law. Uh anyway, um so yeah, that'll that'll be great. Uh there's other speakers. There are altcoin speakers on here. Uh don't mind them. Um but you know it it's it's gonna be mostly Bitcoin people at this conference. Last year, Michael, it was like 80% Bitcoin. Like if if you didn't want to talk with altcoiners, you didn't talk with altcoiners. Yes, yeah. (laughs)
3: Um but they, they were not they were not at the dinner, most importantly.
2: Well, yeah, you've got to pass a stringent KYC AML process whereby I scroll through your Twitter feed and I make sure that your tweets align exactly with my ideology, exactly. And if, <laughs> if, if, if they don't... If, if your it, account doesn't echo. <laughs> yeah, if you retweet one wrong person or you like one wrong tweet, you're not gonna get invited to this dinner. Uh, but anyway, that's just... That's just it, the way it is, right? It's the not like the
4: street. new chain analysis, it's tweet analysis.
2: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Although I should hire chain analysis as well and be like, did this person split their bcash or not? <laughs> did they did they ever send bitcoins to the Ethereum
3: uh
2: sale <laughs> Yeah.
3: Yeah. Uh, Has there ever been any mastercoin attached to their bitcoins?
2: <laughs> oh man. Oh man. That would be disastrous for their reputation. Um anyway we should we should get started with our interview of stefan because we haven't really gotten anywhere it's just me been r- rambling um, been, we've known each other how long now it's been
3: years uh and yet you know i actually don't even know how you got into bitcoin
4: well this is okay sure let's go so i obviously was big into austro libertarianism from beforehand right
2: you were big now, into australian libertarianism
4: Yes, that's right. Australian libertarianism <laughs> and also Austrian libertarianism. Uh, yep. um, <laughs> so then funny story, like, like most people, the first time I'd heard of Bitcoin, I can't remember exactly when, probably like 2011 or 2012, and just kind of thought, oh, no, nah, whatever. I don't really get it, right? Um, and so I was on a family holiday in late 2012. We were back in Sri Lanka, right, to see relatives and stuff. And I was really bored and in the car on the way back because the roads are really poor in Sri Lanka, right? So it just takes ages to get anywhere. So I was just like flicking through on my phone, reading random articles. And I stumbled across this article by Eric Voorhees. It was something like A Libertarian Introduction to Bitcoin or whatever, right? And that was my moment. That was my, like, I read this and then I thought, whoa, hang on, like, this actually could replace central banking and all, all this other stuff. And then That was late kind of December, 2012 ish. Mm -hmm. And then over the next, you know, from, from then on, I've just, you know, not been able to stop thinking about Bitcoin pretty much. And so then after that, I then started reading more about it, listening to more talks about it, obviously stumbled across a few Andreas videos. And from there, then I started going on our Bitcoin and Bitcoin talk forum. I would lurk there occasionally. That
3: explains the
4: toxicity. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) So then, I mean, for me, it was pretty much like obviously being very into the whole Austrian anti central banking Mm -hmm. message. I was very amenable to this whole idea of Bitcoin. And I didn't know as much obviously about all the cypherpunk history, but that's kind of where I sort of, I really, I learned that from you guys and from the Nakamoto Institute where you kind of document many of those resources, obviously as an Austro libertarian, I had a lot of sympathy for those arguments and those ideas. I just didn't know much about them and this history of, you know, the prior attempts at, you know, right. digital money. I had actually, I had, I, I knew about,
3: you know, the sort of crypto anarchists, you know, for a long time, you know, I've, I've grown up on the internet and, you know, uh, stuff like, you know, uh, BitTorrent has been around, uh, and, well, and before that, you know, there was Napster and LimeWire and all this stuff. So like, you know, kind of, uh, internet activity that uh, flirts with the law, you know, has been a normal part of, you know, my generation's existence. And so you pick up on on some of these various activist groups.
2: Um, Yeah, and if you're like, if you end up going down the Linux rabbit hole, when you were like in high school, or whatever it was, and you're installing Linux, like, you learned about PGP and uh, Mm -hmm. other things like that, because it's like part of like the release process and all this stuff right but the interesting thing was i had always associated them with a
3: sort of um uh leftism in the yeah. sense that it was it was very much you know for uh civil liberties which i'm for but not there there wasn't a focus on on like property rights per se um and so it was, it was always kind of in this uh it was, it was uh, trying to solve the right problems with, in the right ways, but for uh, reasons that were very different than sort of a lot of my core reasoning as, as a libertarian who had a focus on, on property rights and, and views civil liberties as extending from the property rights. Um, but then, you know, when I hear about Tim May, and he explicitly refers to crypto anarchy as an anarcho-capitalist philosophy or strategy or what have you, that that was that was an immediate click and you know I became you know totally obsessed and it, it totally changed my perspective on everything.
4: Yeah, cool. and I think the other thing is, with that is Tim guys like Tim May were in turn influential on say Nick Zabo. Nick Zabo yeah. has said Tim May Rest was his prime peace, inference.
2: Yeah, and it's funny, we we talk about like the cypherpunks, but in parallel, you have the free and open source software people, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of like an adjacent community, there is like obviously overlap to some degree, but um, and that's kind of that's I I learned about them at the same time that I learned about Austrian economics. So I was like, Mm -hmm. listening to Walter Block and Richard Stallman, you know, back to back. And I felt like I had like the perfect synthesis because the Austrians were very anti intellectual property. And Mm -hmm. so open source and free software, like completely fits in with that and then richard Salmon was like a leftist and uh, you know a state. Yeah, I, I think he's basically like a full communist in a yeah way. he's yeah he's uh he's so uh you know i could a- safely ignore that part um and just but at the same time bitcoin, you get you get people like
3: eric raymond yeah um who who's a, a fantastic libertarian and also has been you know one of the the great
2: figures in open source software right and to me it's like the the reason i trusted bitcoin like a big part of it was because it just felt like an open source project. Because I'd I'd, I'd used Linux, like I, I knew what like the aesthetic of Qt was, uh, and it was yep. it, it just felt like a natural like. Even by then, on most GitHub, of my life most of my life was on Linux
3: at that time. Um, for, for better or worse, I'm I'm mostly a Mac guy now. You know, um, I
2: think I downloaded it from SourceForge, not from GitHub. But I also know oh, I done... I downloaded
3: it from SourceForge. Yeah,
2: yeah. I'd been used to like going to SourceForge, so to me yeah. it was like a natural. Well, most of my
3: software was open source. Like most of the yeah. software that I ran was open source, and I almost always, you know, and of course, even to today, like try to to use open source software uh, when possible. Um, yeah, you know, Stefan, I have a question for you. If you you said like it sounded like you found out about Bitcoin sometime in 2011, you kind of brushed it off. I'm just curious, as an actual libertarian, had you been dissuaded at all by Neil CO's
4: videos on Bitcoin? Ah, yes, sir. So I know of him, but I only learned of his p- point of view on Bitcoin after I'd already had my come to Bitcoin late okay, to 2012 okay. moment. So yeah. I, you know, for me, it was more like I just didn't understand the connection of Bitcoin as being anti-central bank until kind of reading that Eric Voorhees piece in late 2012. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so obviously, but I knew of Nielsio from like yeah. our anarcho-capitalism and some of those other. Kind All right of and the, the, the old Mises
3: yeah. forums, if you remember those. yeah. Uh, yes, yeah, so fantastic it.
4: resource. By the way, I don't, I don't
3: know if they're archived anywhere, but there's some really awesome discussions going on.
2: Um, on yeah, there back I, in the day. I commented on it. Uh, people like uh, Tim Swanson commented on it, uh, like pre Bitcoin. Tim Swanson used to be a libertarian. Yeah, it's wild. Uh, but a little piece of history. So we're talking about Niels. Uh He is on the skeptics page for the Nakamoto Institute, and he has the dubious and unfortunate honor of being the first person on the list. Uh, and he, on April 22nd, 2011, when the price of one Bitcoin was 77 pennies, uh, he posted a YouTube video called Don't Buy Bitcoins. Yeah. Yeah, well, and I, I asked that question because
3: uh, I, I do think that that video, I mean, uh, you know, Neil C.O. Uh, is a great guy and he, he was a very, um thoughtful rational person who put forward a lot of interesting arguments on this on this he was clearly you know in my opinion very very wrong
2: um but and i guess one can see like he he puts forward like the plausible like austrian regression theorem argument against bitcoin like that's that's a perfectly plausible argument and he could have right. turned out to be right um it's, well uh, uh, right i can
3: disagree with that but okay. um the bigger it, thing was because he was such a, he's, he was such a great sort of member of the online austrian community that yeah. that video had a massive effect i know many many people who kind of pushed off their interest in bitcoin because of that video and i specifically yeah. remember having seen that video because i had i had known about bitcoin at the time i was i was kind of I knew about it. Um, I didn't really. I I hadn't really used it, um, but because of that, you know, I was like, oh, okay. I guess this thing is not that, you know, that important. And in fact, after that, I had I had like in my mind, I, I thought of Bitcoin as a fiat money because it was just sort of made up. Um, so it, it definitely had a bit of a lasting effect on myself, um, and it's it's, yeah. it's quite unfortunate. I disagree that it's a it's a good argument about the regression theorem oh, by virtue fine. of the fact that that people were using it. Yeah, it had and I it think, had a. Yeah. At a price. Right. Yeah, you
2: don't have to know what the reason is. You just have to describe yeah, But you, you could argue, Michael, that uh there is a ceiling on Bitcoin adoption because I think that like Niels thinks that there's only people with this specific psychology who are interested in this little toy internet thing, just like with beanie mm-hmm. babies or something, that there's just like okay. an adoption ceiling on it. Um, and that it can't really become money uh because it's just not gonna build up enough liquidity. At any point in time, to like start building that that network effect or whatever it is, so you know it's like I in in those right, early right. days
3: within it, there's some interesting yeah right point. and like now, in
2: 2019 we can easily say like okay that argument just doesn't work yeah. uh, but back then it was plausible. unfortunately yeah. I
3: don't have part two of the video I only have part one which I put on the way back machine so people can see I. I <laughs> I, I I feel bad, kind of you know, basically shitting on the guy by by having it there. But I do think it, it's actually a very important part of Bitcoin history. Uh, yeah, in my well, opinion.
4: For, yeah, for me, I found so obviously I came to Bitcoin a little later. Um, but uh, if you recall, back in those days in 2013, you had guys like Conrad Graf who were writing a lot about Bitcoin, and Conrad had a really good counter argument to that whole regression yes. theorem, right? And so yes. Conrad's response and reply to that thesis was that. No, really, Mises and those guys were talking more from a show your working point of view, not necessarily, you know, that Bitcoin could never become a money. And that was kind of the argument that took, you know, to me that made the most sense. And I think that perhaps has now been shown to be right, although obviously mm-hmm. we, we don't we won't really know for sure, but that to me seemed the right way to think through that issue.
3: was uh, a great time for Austrian Bitcoin scholarship, not from the usual crowd. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, They they were derping hard, Um, but that was the time period in which uh, I I think the first uh, major piece of Austrian Bitcoin literature to come out was Peter Serta's master's thesis, which if you go back and read that, he covered everything. Like, he basically, almost like everything else that came after it was a rewrite of what Peter had written. Um, he did yeah. a, a really fantastic job. Um, you, you can read that either on his website, economicsofbitcoin.com, I believe it is, or um, it's available on the Nakamoto Institute. And then, yeah, Conrad Graf came out, and um, little known fact is, you know, before, uh, you know, the, the Nakamoto Institute crowd was talking about hyper-Bitcoinization, uh, that was actually derived from um, uh, uh, Conrad's uh, concept of hypermonetization. Um, it was just like, okay, well, if it's hypermonetized, but it's Bitcoin that's being monetized, we'll call that hyperbitcoinization. Um, so he had some great articles on that 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 go into you know this process of uh, especially on the other side, just a rapid demonetization. Um, of a currency and and for instance if, if that were to happen the the need for another currency to come in and and fill that void if it's available
4: yeah i agree and i think it's interesting to look back on who was around back then and the points they were making. So agreed I'm very much on the points Peter Sirter made. And Peter also did some really good work on the classification of Bitcoin, right? So he was thinking, should we consider it as a commodity? So you know, as like a commodity money. And that was where a lot of people got that idea of thinking it more like, oh, it's like gold. Uh, and so Conrad was around in those days. And also and, guys and like Tua. A... what was that? Tour. Also guys like Tua Domista. Oh, yeah, he was writing yeah. some good stuff too. Yes.
2: Uh, well, and let's not forget Daniel Krawitz was actually writing good stuff back then. Uh, he wrote the original value of Bitcoins that directly addressed the regression theorem. Uh, that was like in July 2013. Mm-hmm. And CERTA published in, um, in uh, 2012 in November so it was like all around that time that there was a lot of progress made from like an intellectual perspective yeah on is the, the Mises circle at work yep yep that was on the good, the Mises circle.org
3: we, we still need to go back and see what what all uh of the meeting videos we can collect i know oh, yeah, they're out on yeah YouTube i have somewhere. them
2: yeah um uh i have a few of them for sure yeah and that there was also Guys like Trace on there, yeah.
3: Oh, Trace, Trace was, uh, I think I said this early. before, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, he was, he was uh, after I learned about Bitcoin in a in a meaningful way, you know, of course, I'm like, how do I learn about Bitcoin? And at the time, there was actually such a uh, little information out there. You go to the Bitcoin wiki, you go to the Bitcoin website, and that was mostly it as far as like finding good information and uh, a little bit of searching on YouTube came up with uh, many trace mirror interviews. And those really helped solidify my, uh, my, my early understanding of Bitcoin and my excitement for it. Um, so huge props to, to trace for uh, having been there.
2: So Stefan, you've been, you've interviewed a lot of different uh, hardcore Bitcoiners. Do, do you think that there's, and people talk about Bitcoin being an echo chamber? But do you see like different points of view on major topics uh, from the interviews you've done where it's like, okay, there's different like strains within uh, Bitcoin maximalism? Yeah. So I would say there are definitely different themes and slight
4: disagreements. But I think to some extent, we've aligned, mo- many of us have aligned on kind of the key things. But I don't know, quick examples. Obviously, everyone throws out this example of Luke, Luke Dash who does who is all about the 300 kilobyte blocks. Um, then you've got other kind of disagreements. So guys like Paul Stork who likes side chains and others who maybe someone like a Jimmy Song who might be kind of sort of interested in the idea but not really for it. And then many others who are kind of against this idea of having side chains and, you know, because they might centralize or they might put some other kind of pressure in terms of mining. Um, what else? I think we're seeing a little we're seeing some slight differences in terms of things like how should we think of lightning network custodial wallets mm-hmm. um obviously there's a lot of things people can say about that on whether it should just be you know kept small and you know you should be sweeping that out and you should ideally be running your own full node there's a lot of debate around that I think some of the debate now is around why aren't people running full nodes but I think I saw some of the recent discussion on Twitter, and I think some of that could literally just be a function of price and interest. It could just it could just be that more people care about well, more people went to go and run Bitcoin when the price was running crazy in late 2017. So yeah, there are a few yeah. of the disagreements I see.
2: Um for sure. And the other one, well, yeah, I think that you 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 covered them all there. There was one other one.
4: Uh, Confidential transactions. I think that's another good one as well, because that's all this debate of, can we have confidential transactions on chain versus full auditability and comfort and assurance that the supply of Bitcoin will never go more than 21 million? So that's a big uh, aspect as well.
2: Yeah, for sure. I guess there's also the the debate about privacy, um, which I think that, Kind of falls into the custodial and non-custodial debate as well um but in any case um yeah the the other i uh, there's also there's still the debate about utility or you know medium of exchange versus mm. store value um and like i consider myself a moderate in that debate is in like i do think that even when we're pre po- you know before hyper bitcoinization there are going to be people transacting in Bitcoin, and it's going to continue increasing. And I get that it's a lot smaller than like store value type use cases, but I, I just realistically, I think it is, it's there.
4: Yeah, look, I, 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 I think,
2: think it's poor language. Yeah, like, I, this okay. is
4: a, yeah, this is what I was going to say. I think I think this is the point I've heard you make, Michael, that really, it's it's we shouldn't think of them as such distinct and separate. Functions of money and as Rothbard famously wrote he said all of the functions of money are in a sense subordinate to the role of medium of exchange It's all about what is the best medium of exchange all other functions like unit of account and store of value They are kind of subordinate to that role Right, it's just that then people
3: people misinterpret what medium of exchange means because they want it to mean actual literal method of payment um, rather than simply a good that you purchase for the purpose of indirect exchange and that's it. And store 100%. value is a type of that because you purchase an, a a good for indirect exchange that you don't plan on exchanging for that indirect thing for, you know, a, a very long time.
4: Yeah, right. And then now we would contrast that with say the view, and it may not necessarily be a disagreement, but it may just be a slight different interpretation that if you look at, say, the work of Nick Zabo from Shelling Out or VJ as well, where they're sort of talking it more like it's in stages, right, mm-hmm. and if you look back to Jevons as well, I think Jevons makes a sem- similar kind of comment and that, that Jevons is writing in what, the late 1800s, um, but that's that idea of you know collectible, store of value, then medium of exchange, then unit of account. But uh, maybe it's more just like, it may seem that way, but really, all of these things are taking root together at the same time.
3: Or, or you know, like people really are, you know, like actually making use of that medium of exchange in specific ways at different times. Like, you know, when when people first catch on that a good might be good as a, a medium of exchange, uh, they they tend to just you know collect it, and then they start you know thinking on on a different economic term. Yeah. And at that point, once again, it, it's merely like a a sort of a linguistic conceptual difference rather than anything else.
4: Yeah. And I think another another thing kind of related to that is is just this idea that, OK, so like some of the hardcore, if you're a really hardcore hodler, you, you know, guys like even say Murad have come out and said, oh, look, I think it's silly to spend Bitcoin before hyper Bitcoinization. Why would I spend it now before it goes like 1000 X and so on? But then you've got others such as say Sergey Kotliar and obviously he runs Bitrefill and he's kind of all about like yeah let's have lightning payments for things and it, it may just be that you know different different strokes different folks right so some people really find it fun to spend with lightning and they might find it fun to you know go play on Koala Studio or Satoshi's place and lightning chess and whatever because it enables things that you could not have done otherwise right and similarly with payments like the wikileaks idea and paying to whatever buying things from someone who has been blocked say alex jones or whatever right
3: yeah, gotta yeah. get your water filters
2: <laughs> and then it, it kind of has a knock-on effect where if you are receiving bitcoin as payment and you're just doing it because you have to you don't have any other option well now you have bitcoin that really you weren't looking to have on your balance sheet um, and so you're going to go out and try to find somewhere where you can spend it. And like at at the end of the day, when like to me, medium of exchange is just synonymous with liquidity, uh, and that's really what a money is about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The the other thing is like you know,
3: <laughs> I see a lot of people get upset with a lot of uh, uh, tweets that I've put out before, um, basically because I, I take I, I take on a hardcore hodling position. Uh, Meanwhile, I actually, I have no, you know, moral judgment on the matter because everyone has different, um, time preferences. Every, everyone has different things that they value, um, and all of that. Uh, however, there is this issue where, uh, people on the other side of that debate might not feel as charitable towards that position. And so I do think that it's important to, you know, make it clear that it's like, it is completely acceptable to want to simply huddle and no one has to spend like it, it spending does not you know uh, inherently make bitcoin more valuable um in fact you know not spending it makes it more marginally valued because it you know increases the price of it um and so like yeah it's perfectly fine it's perfectly fine to uh, just hodl and not spend and just because you have something that you want to sell does not mean that you're entitled to other people's bitcoins
4: Right. And the other component that often comes up is people get into this whole debate of, oh, should you encourage spending and replacing because then more merchants will try and accept Bitcoin and blah, blah, blah. But to me, that's always come off as a bit of a weak argument because kind of coming back to what you, uh, touching on what you guys are saying earlier as well, and perhaps some of Trace Mayer's discussion around network effects, the strongest one is speculation as in like investors who are buying and holding Bitcoin. That to me is the strongest effect. Every other effect is kind of a bit weaker than that.
3: Yeah, I'm also, I mean, I'd be interested to see if that kind of uh, economic rhetoric, if you will, actually, you know, gets merchants to want to change anything, or if that's people just imagining uh, people getting more excited about Bitcoin.
4: Well, I guess you could say that, okay, knowledge is not given to everyone. And even if you look back to some of the work by Carl Menger, he mentions how not everyone cottons on to this idea of indirect money, indirect exchange as money and that it takes time for everyone to kind of see, oh, look, look what that other guy is doing. He's using an indirect exchange. Oh, maybe I'll do that idea as well. So in the same way, maybe there's something to that, that more and more people picking up Bitcoin and seeing other people using it would then now pick it up themselves and go, oh, hey, I will do Bitcoin myself as a medium of exchange and all that.
3: Yeah i think one one sort of last thing that i would say is just uh you know everyone should find what their niche is and you know whatever they have to offer and not really worry so much about what other people are or are not doing uh because bitcoin's gonna win either way it's just uh at least you know you subscribe to the same views about monetary competition um you know you specifically buying and selling Bitcoin's has a very marginal effect on the whole thing, um, whereas like this this thing is a a macro event. Um, so you you shouldn't wor- you wor- shouldn't worry so much, and you shouldn't worry yeah. so much about you know what other people are doing because people people like to like, oh why aren't you doing enough for Bitcoin or whatever. And It's like well actually I mean even even just you knowing that Bitcoin exists is doing something for Bitcoin.
4: Yeah, and I think I'll I'll call back to one of Pierre's articles here, which is one of my. I think this is like one of Pierre's underrated articles. Pierre, it's your article, uh, working and saving are underrated or something like that. It's uh, like working it, and saving are revolutionary acts. Yeah. Yes, that's the one. I love that article. And in some ways in that article, I remember, I think it might be 2012 you wrote that. Anyway, yep. it was, you were making the point that it's like some people who go out and try to convince other people about libertarianism are kind of like the white rose. They're kind of like, they're, they're, they're trying to help, but in the end, they're not what will actually make the difference. And I think it's sort of a similar point here with Bitcoin. Ultimately, it comes to that point of, is Bitcoin a superior money? And do superior monies have a tendency to win? Is there a tendency towards one best, you know, the convergence towards one best money? And, well, then th- then it doesn't matter that much what guys like you and me are out here saying. However, though, I think one point that might be slightly slightly counter to that, but not... All right, like, here's why Netflix, there's a beat it's like with the point that say um jimmy song would argue that actually bitcoin's anti-fragility comes from developers Mm -hmm. so to some extent it may be true that you know not enough developers trying to you know find bugs in the code and try and um you know improve the technology of bitcoin and lightning it may those people may still make a difference and so I don't know, it's, I think on the whole, it's still as a money, it's still the most superior money, mm-hmm. but maybe there is like some level well, of variability there.
2: Let, let me, let me be clear though. In the article, I say that here, here's my advice to people, uh, developing a career in a specialized field that you love and creates real value. Um, and so to, to me like that, whether, and then I go on to say, first of all, not being a political operative. Okay, because there you're gonna be destroying value, you're not gonna be creating value. Uh, not joining a multi-level marketing scheme. So I think that Bitcoin is definitely a multi-level marketing scheme. So I'm going to have to draw a specific exception for Bitcoin with regards to this because- The one acceptable you, Ponzi. Well, you you only want one monetization to happen, right? Like, otherwise we're in a constant state of barter. Uh, if If we're constantly changing monies, uh, and monies are multi-level marketing schemes. Uh, you know, right now we're in in the uh, dollar one, but uh, anyway. And then the third, most importantly, not becoming an academic. Now I should have also included journalists in this, but I just <laughs> I kind of see journalism as an extension of academia in terms of the bullshittery. It's it's, it's all one complex. Yeah, it's very 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 yeah. It, it, to me, like a- well, basically, here, here's is,
3: what it is: academia determines what the what the uh, uh, correct social position is. And then the journalists are the ones who, like these shock troops that are out there beating people into submission to follow um, those those rules of, of political correctness, if you will.
4: Yeah, and one thing that really frustrates me, obviously, I, I'm sure you guys agree as well, it's just around our skepticism of democracy, right? So hans Simon Hopper's Democracy, The God That Failed, fantastic book. But what you find many of these journalists do is they try to overstate their importance they'll try and say oh my god isn't it so important what i'm doing it's so important that everyone is like super informed and that's how we can have like you know this informed rational debate in the democracy that we all live and it's just like if it wasn't for you
3: if it wasn't for you the journalist we would be in the streets dying um (laughs) everyone murdering each other you know yeah well you know i I always kind of laugh you know the washington post's new you know kind of slogan for a while has been, democracy dies in darkness. Um, and I think I have a very different
4: uh, uh, interpretation of that line than they do. <laughs> it's just so self-aggrandizing. It's just so like self-important. Like, oh, I'm so important to this democracy, and
2: you should care about what I write. And I'm like, no. Michael, I feel like if, if they had changed their tagline to that when Obama became president, people would have seen it as being racially charged uh but <laughs> because it was an orange person who became president that it, it, it kind of went by fine it's kind of a weird situation <laughs> i don't know poor, if poor the washington people. post is racist or not but uh that you know blogs can blog about whatever they want i'm not opposed to that but they probably shouldn't hold themselves as superior to the rest of us uh in any case yeah, um, i have a blog too you know yeah <laughs> look everybody's got a blog. everyone's got a micro <laughs> blog on twitter everyone's You're not got, special oh, everyone's got a podcast everyone's got a podcast <laughs> with thousands of listeners you know whatever um but the other thing too is that like so you know uh, of those three that i mentioned like being a software developer and helping bitcoin out and like making some income from that uh fits in perfectly with uh working and saving a revolutionary act Um, and and most companies that are paying you might be paying, you can, you can usually get them to pay you directly in the money you ultimately want to save into. Yeah, exactly. Uh, whether you're working for an exchange or if you're actually like, uh, getting, you know, an open source grant or whatever it is. Um, but yeah, this, I, I definitely agree with you that I, I I like this article a lot. Uh, I recommend people read it, uh, because, uh, it's easy to waste time on things that like aren't really moving the needle um and i think that it provides a good guide
4: speaking of moving the
2: natal did, did i ever are- sure
3: share my 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 view on how i think that part of the the unfortunate rise of the alt-right had to do with the uh fall of mount gox <laughs> what Go on. with just like a a, a bunch of like because so many of them were like libertarians who i actually don't think they quite understood libertarianism uh because they wouldn't just throw all of it out the way they did uh, if they actually did understand libertarianism. Um, But many of them, you know, they, they, they come from like this, this sort of fortune world that used to love Ron Paul. And 2012 Ron Paul, that was over, you know, there was no more of that. And then you get to 2014 and uh, you know, Mt. Gox falls and like Bitcoin felt like to many people who weren't, you know, uh, ideologues like us, like it was dead. Um, and so Bitcoin wasn't around as this thing that people could rally around. And, uh, I, I bring this up because it's un- this unfortunate fact that, um, you know, that, that it, to me is a great example of people just getting caught up in, in politics. I mean, that's, that's just on that side. I mean, uh, people mm-hmm. on, on all sides of the political spectrum have gotten, you know, uh, you know, polarized, although, you know. I don't. I'm. I'm a crazy libertarian. I have no problem with like extreme views, um. But the 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 worst part is just like so um unsocially productive, <laughs> socially unproductive. Like you know they get they get caught up in politics and, and care so much about whatever it is. So you you have you have the people who who get really upset about you know whatever. Whatever they're getting upset from the right about these days, and then from the left, you know, there's all kinds of like Trump derangement syndrome, as opposed to like, hey guys, there's this thing called Bitcoin that will fix you know a lot of a lot of social ills, and you can have a wonderful life, uh, you know, a- a- adding to this ecosystem. Um, oh, one hundred percent. Yeah. So it's actually like I... it's a shame to me that that uh, so many people have have gone down these these uh, dark paths where apparently democracy dies. Um, but maybe that's a good thing Um, but uh, instead of instead of working on on you know what kind of pierre was advocating
4: yeah i think uh, i see so many and even amongst libertarians many of whom would want a smaller state don't seem to be as into bitcoin as they should be from my point of view there are many libertarians who just kind of maybe they're more like political tragics and they just kind of enjoy sort of the back and forward of watching what happens in politics but they just have very little relevance in that field because you're not you're just not going to win that game
1: right
4: bitcoin is a game that can be won
3: well the the journalists are winning that game uh, because journalists are able to just pump out story after story that are purposefully crafted to get your clicks i mean there's there's been times where i notice I, i i can look at an article and i can notice what meme is sort of in the, in the headline, for instance, that gets the leftist upset enough to go click on the article. And then yeah. I see the picture they use. And I can see the meme embedded in that picture that causes the rightist to go want to click on that article. And both people lose to the journalist, or rather the, the editors or whatever, Jeff Bezos, um, because they get the ad revenue while all you did was uh, you know, sap your time and energy on an article that doesn't matter. Um, you've you've made yourself a less happy person, which makes you more you know l- less productive in general. Um, and now, you know, like the the opportunity cost of that is that you could have been doing something great, you know, even if it was just spending time with family. Instead, you were you know worried about uh, you know what what uh, Al- Alexandria Cortez said or what you know Trump tweeted or whatever. Um, everyone should should stop clicking on blog links that aren't Bitcoin blogs, uh, preferably on technical topics, and uh, go find anything productive to do, literally anything, whether it's, you know, hanging out with your family, or taking up woodcraft, like, you know, wordworking, or taking up a technical skill, or starting a business, any of those things, literally anything but reading one of these blogs uh, would be better for your health, sanity, and uh, community.
4: I think part of it is habits, right? So people get bored and then they start flicking and scrolling on Facebook and Twitter. And then what do they see? They see an article and off they go. And then they're down that rabbit hole and they've lost time and attention.
3: I just started doing that when you started talking. Just, <laughs> just <kidding>. <laughs> <laughs> and
2: and uh, to me, it's been funny to see the intersection between journalists and Bitcoin. And seeing how like mainstream journalists grapple with it uh, in all sorts of different ways, like they they all have like different opinions about it and whatnot. But what strikes me is their attitude when they're wrong. Like I I've seen like normal people who are not journalists react very differently to being wrong than journalists do, and that's something that I've really learned from from my time in watching Bitcoin. You know, peop- journalists reporting on Bitcoin.
3: And astute uh, tweeters have pointed out that this um, is the reasons that uh, journalists
2: can't learn to code.
3: <laughs> More than anything else, it's simply the, the inability to, to take feedback, critical
2: wrong. feedback, and then improve yourself based on said critical feedback. Seems to be very challenging for them.
4: <laughs> A good example might be um, that lady, I can't remember her name, was it Leah? Leah Goodman? Maybe she was like oh, the one yeah. who who outed um, mm. Dorian Nakamoto. Yes. Do that?
3: yes. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> Le- Le- the guy just wanted Fushi. Goodman. Yeah. Leo he Le- just to Goodman. play with his toy trains. Yeah. It was such a what? terrible, terrible debacle. It was. It was. Everything about it was so immoral and unethical. It just. And then they stood by it. They yeah. all stood yeah. by it. They were they all double like, down.
2: "Yeah, they were like, no, man, this is a this is a real <laughs> newsworthy story." Uh, he is <laughs> and well, all the reporting I, in it is true. We're standing and, by. That by makes it that,
3: look. I, I feel terrible for Dorian, um, for having to go through that. Um, but I have to say, we got some incredible memes out of that. Um, <laughs> oh, it was, yeah. Yeah. It was a, as a whole, I think it was good for the Bitcoin community where would we be without the you know the face the you yeah know. yeah 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 and so, like the
4: memes about the buttery cookies like someone went and found his reviews on Amazon and they were like oh there's buttery cookies or whatever
2: uh, I'm developing it Newsweek that paid yeah. for his
3: sushi lunch
2: yeah yeah uh, okay. no, well he it was like a bunch of journalists showed up afterwards right and he like and they all like pitched in a dollar so that you could have a sushi lunch. I, I don't remember what it was mm-hmm. in any case I'm developing a libertarian theory on uh, j- fake news which is that all if, of it. You, oh, if you're on a news website and you're paying for it right because they're serving up advertising to you um, there there is a contract between you and the news site and the expectation is that the news site is providing to their best the best of their ability accurate information and you know in return you pay them with your attention and the ad revenue that they get from that um and so when they present to you inaccurate information that a jury like the reasonable person standard you know would say that information's inaccurate they're they're committing fraud and they should be liable for that fraud under tort law and it violates the the non-aggression principle
3: mm. see that seems far-fetched to me i mean like wh- where does trolling fit into this well it's about <laughs> guess-
2: it's about the expectation like the expectation when you go on the onion is that they're gonna have Joke, news stories, and the reasonable person would. I see. Would so if the New York Times
3: wants to to fancy itself as the objective source of all truth in the universe as they do today, um, then they're going to have to uh, he put up the liability
2: if they provide <laughs> put
3: up or you know pay tort.
2: Yeah, exactly.
4: Mm, I think, and I think the the other thing that um we may see is just more of a bitcoin lightning model and maybe the model will be less about like i'm a journalist and it might just be more like specialists in a certain area who just love that thing and they cover that thing and people just pay them for that content
2: maybe that's the model and that's kind of like that's what patreon was aspiring to do but is ultimately flawed because of its centralized payment system um but it definitely because the internet is so big that you can be in any niche and you'll have an audience that'll pay you for that and so now you don't have to rely on like a, it allows you to unbundle uh information services and now you don't get all of the political crap with it you only get the actual you know actionable information that you were seeking absolutely i still think you know my
3: idea was a was a good one that i had, i had tweeted about um and i i hope someone does it before I'm able to, um, I have so many things going on. Uh, I, I want people to take my ideas and build them, uh, because I want to see them in the world, uh, which was, you know, if everyone has a Libre patron, you know, made by, uh, Jeff Van um, and they have that there could easily be a standard for some kind of, you know, RSS feed, um, or something like that. And then you would ha- like you as the business could be the iTunes of, uh, these feeds and for for those who have not made a podcast i didn't know this until i made a podcast itunes doesn't actually store anything you know they don't they don't store the the audio files you store the audio files and what you give them is an rss feed um and when when it you submit it to um to their to their uh store they they you know, keep up with the RSS feed and put it in their database so that it's it's there for people to click on. And when people download it, download the episode, they're not downloading from app, from Apple. They're downloading it from uh, the person itself. And so they're really just acting as a you know curation filter. And so likewise, you know, if if you have all these people um, building, you know, a service like Libre Patreon, or it could really be you know any any standard service. Um, on the Bitcoin network or you know, uses Bitcoin in the back end, it's just a self-sovereign, self-hosted app um, to provide something. They can provide some kind of standard RSS feed or something like that. And then this business would simply collect them and say like, hey, you know, I saw that through my service, you were subscribing and paying a bunch of money to um, you know, the Noted podcast and the Stefan Lavera podcast. I think you'd really like um, Marty Bent. Um, or, or likewise, hey, I saw you were reading a lot from this blogger who gets into weird history stuff, and you know this other blogger who gets into you know weird literature stuff. Here's a blogger we we'll th- we think you'll like, and all of the stuff is still self-hosted and self-sovereign. Your business does not take any um, payments. Um, instead, you know perhaps you would you would have people pay um, to be on your curation system because it's. You know, it's it's the place that everyone's going to want to go to to search because you're so good at building those graphs. Yep.
2: Uh, Stefan, does that get you excited about?
4: Uh... <laughs> He's speechless. Speechful.
3: Yeah.
2: So I think
4: it's like <clears throat> we will see. So I think that whole model of Apple and even now Spotify are getting big into the podcasting game. I think it's all still very much about trying to keep you in their ecosystem. So mm-hmm. I think something like Spotify, they want to keep you there. And one of the articles I was reading was saying how, for example, with Spotify, they want to ideally get you listening to podcasts as well, because then that might mean they pay less on music revenue. Uh, yeah? yeah. That's one idea. Right. right. Cause you're, yeah. you're
3: paying them, you know, the, the nine ninety nine a month or whatever, but none of it's even costing them anything cause they're just, serving serving some audio files that were going to be free anyway yeah yeah i think the
4: other thing yeah. yeah i mean that's one angle and i think the other thing is also just around storage of the files so right now a lot of people use things like you know libsyn or soundcloud or anchor to store their files maybe that's kind of the next thing that has to get maybe not fully decentralized, but at least sort of hardened against kind of shutdowns, because let's say right, right. you have a decentralized, obviously Bitcoin and lightning for payments, but then they can still try and shut you down from a web server point of view. And then who's going to serve up the, your podcast episodes to the thousands. And you know, however many listeners you have. Right. So just, that's just on kind the top of, one of angle. my
3: head, I'm imagining like, you know, if you had some kind of service for easily setting up a bunch of clusters of servers on different cloud services, such that you can just flip the switch, like you you constantly, you know, do our sync between them or whatever. And if one goes down, you just, you know, flip the switch, and now everything's pointed uh, to the, the other service. So you kind of have some redundancy, um, yeah. and don't rely on any one specific uh, cloud provider. Um, so really, it's it's not really like decentralization does not have to only come in the form of you know how we think of Bitcoin decentralization with its own token. Really, just like market competition um, and being able to to um, you know not not have any sort of legal monopoly over um, a sector, and and there isn't a legal monopoly on a lot of these things. But I think um, people people have uh, overvalued the convenience um, a lot to their own detriment. And uh, hopefully, you know, people will will learn how to do things better uh, as bad things continue to happen to them for not having done so.
4: <laughs> yeah, and I think, like, I mean, to what you were saying earlier around having your own server and so on. Like, I'm looking into things like that. I, I recently ordered a noddle as well, so I'm hoping to um, try and set up BTC Pay server on that, and then try and hook that up with my website and stuff, and try and see what I can do with that as well. So, I mean, I, I'm trying to look at ways to kind of improve um on that myself um and i think it would be great to see more and more people trying to go that angle of self-sovereign self-hosting at least for the payments part yeah not necessarily the hosting of the audio and the video files
3: but even that you know as as you know fiber uh rolls out in more places you know the bandwidth is not an issue anymore
2: well Uh, we're we're recording this and you know, I'm in New York, Michael's in Austin, Stefan's in Australia, and I'm not noticing any kind of lagging or uh, much of a delay at all. It's crazy. And, it, you know, you can apply that to, to payments and uh, the whole self-sovereignty. Uh, and it makes sense to me that even today without having fiber everywhere, I don't know, Stefan, do you have fiber?
4: I have ADSL. So over here, we have what's called NBN, National Broadband Network, another socialist program. Um, but <laughs> I have, like yeah, but I have uh, 100 megabytes, oh, sorry, megabits per second download, maximum mm-hmm. capacity, and something like, I think 10 to 30 upload, something like that, roughly. Yeah.
2: yeah uh, that's, and, It's working fine uh, with the YouTube streaming, so it's going to be working fine with everything else.
3: Right? There, there are issues with like the self hosting. You need you know certain reliability with uptime, which is not as big of a problem uh, here because you know if one of us were to go down, we just you know refresh you know whatever and then we come back. But that's that's really not an option when you're running uh, an e commerce site or or something else where you're trying to put content out there. And
4: yeah, exactly. And like I couldn't serve up say i release an episode and there's you know however many thousand people are downloading it all at once my home connection could definitely not support that right so you know i bet you could you could find ways to try and do that or try and use servers that are located in jurisdictions that won't get shut down so easily by say the us government or whoever
2: yeah yeah
3: using their own their own system just mail usb's full of podcast episodes
4: <laughs> his season one of noted podcast <laughs> yeah
2: well really I, there, I i don't think that there's that much of a problem with just using a vps to host a btc pay server uh because you actually you don't have to for for lightning you, you got to keep your hot wallet on it but for uh on-chain transactions you can use a hardware wallet uh, use a um, an HD wallet that allows you to generate addresses on the server,
4: right? Like put your XPUB on there, yeah. so that it's got like watching only on the server, but you've got actually the private keys in your you know cold storage. Exactly.
2: I love BTC Pay server. I think it's one of the best projects in Bitcoin today. It's amazing. It it, 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 it it's it's incredible because. Um,
3: it, it, it's this thing that I think we all kind of knew needed to exist, and it just never existed. And then one day it existed. Um, and now that it exists, um, it is it is the new sort of default. You know, like it's almost yeah. it's, it's both absurd both for- to think that people don't have BTC pay servers up.
2: Yeah, both for merchants and for developers too. It's like now, any application you're building, like you should just build it adjacent to BTC Pay Server, like with uh, Libre Patreon with um, Jeff.
3: Right. And there's there's in fact Jeff is now the the maintainer of the the Python uh, API library for for doing that. So just you know, go take a look at his code, and you can learn exactly how to communicate with um, BTC Pay Server with any app. And then yeah. you know if it's if it's good and it has you know enough attention, you can just roll it into uh, BTC Pay Server itself as part of the, the install.
4: Yeah, and I love that because then it starts to just be this kind of cool thing that's like modular and you just keep plugging in new mm-hmm. bits and new bits. And even recently, so Justin Moon was setting up a like a one day workshop with Rockstar Dev of BTC Pay Server. And there was a bit of interaction there on Twitter saying, Oh, hang on, how come you set this up on Eventbrite? Why don't you just do it with BTC Pay? And and then they kind of it was funny because they were kind of solving it live on Twitter. They were sort of saying, "Oh, hey man, why don't you go into the sections here, the setting here, where you can do this, that, and the other." And then he, within like 20 minutes or whatever, he Justin had set up to now take BTC pay server, uh, obviously for a BTC pay server uh, workshop, which is great.
3: Yeah. By the way,
2: Rockstar Dev, perfect name. Yeah, it's hilarious. Very fitting name. <laughs> there, there was a guy here in New York who was like, oh, I work in the fashion industry and I'm doing a fashion I'm participating in like fashion week in Russia and can you help us set up a BTC pay server for it? And I was like, well, I actually know the perfect person for that and that's Rockstar Dev. He would be more than happy to do that because they want you to go to Russia and actually go to the uh, fashion week so that you can be helping out, you know, in person uh, at the point of sale stuff, if anything goes wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we'll see if that works out. But I, I think that he would enjoy that experience yeah. at the fashion week. It's cool that we're, we're taking over the fashion industry, right? One yeah, at a and, time. Yeah, exactly. And Let me tell you, this gentleman that I met here in New York, he was impeccably dressed. I was very <laughs> impressed. <laughs>
3: he, he wasn't wearing like the, the weird stuff. Like the weird demonic stuff you see on runways. He
2: did not look like a Bitcoiner. Let me put it that way. He (laughs) He looked like he was about to regulate Bitcoin. Uh, (laughs) No, I think that like government suits are like a little stuffy. You know, this guy. Yeah, yeah, he he was just someone who knows how to dress well in 2019. Yeah. Well, uh, it's
4: interesting you talk about the idea of like, what would a Bitcoin wear, right? So obviously, if they didn't care about OPSEC, right, they would wear maybe the Bitcoin carnivory T-shirt from Jimmy Song, and they'd yeah. wear like the No2X hat from Samson, and, uh, the you know.
2: beard. And I think that there would be like steak stains on their T-shirt as well. <laughs> they hadn't like changed in a couple of days Yeah.
3: Maybe the shirt should say I bought Bitcoin in 2010. Yeah. Yeah. They're wearing maybe... a
2: Vibram five fingers as their shoes. <laughs> hey, and those, maybe they could they're, have they're like the shoes. Mongolian,
4: you know, like the, that Eagle, they kind of yeah. have that there as well. You know, the Bitcoin carnivore.
3: Yeah. I wonder if, I wonder if those are allowed in, in Austin. Like if I can just, you know, carry a Falcon around. <laughs> I, need to, I need to find out more, more rules in my, my given jurisdiction.
2: Yeah, because I think that I'm sure Mongolians have a religion, and a falcon is part of that. So maybe it falls under First Amendment protections. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's my religion okay. now.
3: Even if, it, if even if they didn't have a religion around it, it's my religion now. Yeah, you can
2: start it. There's no rules against starting your own religion in the United States. Just like <laughs> and it also
3: it also means that my bitcoins can't be taxed. Oh yeah, that's a good point. Just, yeah, hadn't thought of that. why why is the, the Catholic Church needs to get in on
2: in on? Uh, well, wouldn't it help with censorship resistance if Bitcoin maximalism was a religion? Yeah, why don't we set one occult? up? Because then now all of our Bitcoin related activities are protected speech.
3: Yeah, it, it turns out that all the people uh, uh, accusing us of being in a, a religious cult are setting actually us up. With, well, they, well, they were just making, they were, they were giving us advice.
2: Yeah.
4: Thank you. That's right. We could have well, safety as our preacher. Yeah, as yeah, our, our
3: Bitcoin imam
2: so when we litigate this we'll bring all the no coiners as our witnesses that yes this indeed is a cult that is purely faith-based that (laughs) doesn't have any kind of rational or you know worldly uh reality It's just entirely uh fictitious bitcoin it's virtual yeah it's this is this is a virtual cult so yes it should be tax-free and it should be protected speech
4: yeah, and I love like while we're on this whole topic I, I, of listeners, religion, listeners,
3: remember to uh, write that down on your uh, is IRS forms this year. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: you
4: know, you start putting supplies. it in. Yeah, yeah, and um, one of my buddies, um, with so Hasma Cook, right? So he yeah. read some cool articles, and one of them was talking about this idea of you know Bitcoin as religion, and I loved his idea of Bitcoin tithing. So his concept is that look, people should be setting up an auto buy. Like, how much do you value? your financial sovereignty you should tithe the bitcoin church by buying with a certain percentage of your income every week
3: and you're not allowed to spend anything that you tithe no yeah. matter how no matter how, how high time preference you decide you are you can go buy the lambo but if you tithe it you must hold on to it
4: yeah it's a hodlers pledge
3: yeah and it should it should remain in the family as long as possible this is this is beautiful guys like you know I'm going to I'm going to go work on finding some gold tablets that have this all written down. Wait, why
2: would they be gold tablets? I think that you should just put it in the blockchain and that <laughs> oh, it, it reveals itself and, to the world. And, and well, and it's immutable. So, just by that alone, even if we know that you you individually put it in there, it has now become the that, word that, of the blockchain.
3: Yeah, that's true.
2: I mean, th- this I, I I know that
3: the the some of the Jewish arguments I've heard for you know, uh, revelation has to do with this idea that all the Jews were present at Mount Sinai. Therefore, it was was a
2: revelation to
3: the entire community. This would be taking it to the next level.
2: Absolutely. The the Lord works through you, Michael, as you put your blockchain religion on I just close my eyes and think really
3: hard about what the Lord what what Satoshi would want me to say.
2: yeah you could also just look at like the output of you know your nodes logs and and use that as inspiration as you're worshiping
4: <laughs> for Satoshi so loved the world
2: that I don't know where I'm going with this <laughs> is it that is it the case in Australia that uh churches are tax free uh, I
4: taxes. think so I think so yeah. yeah they get certain um exemptions and things yeah I don't know the details though
2: yeah. yeah. It's interesting. Uh in any case, um, yeah, so after we start our church, I think that we should also have like a uh podcasting studio. Um maybe we have one in Australia and one in the United States. But yeah, it's a very long flight across the Pacific, I gotta tell yeah, you. Yeah, it's
4: a solid like fourteen hour flight um, from yeah. Sydney to say San Francisco or something. does Elon um, Musk but, have a know.
2: plan to solve this? What's how are
4: we Yeah, what's what's know? he doing? Or how maybe we can ask Jack. We can ask Jack. Let's see if Jack yeah, can Jack's a billionaire.
3: Not. When he's When is he going to make his own, uh, you know, space company? Yeah. <laughs> so we can, like, look, Jack, I know you're listening. With your billions of dollars, we can literally take Bitcoin to the moon. Just
4: saying. That's right. We could have a pilgrimage.
2: Well, I think with the next bull market, Square is going to do so well that he'll be able to afford uh, quite a bit of uh, space exploration.
3: I can't wait. Yeah. Square Cash App, everyone go get it. It's uh, if you if you live in the US, it's by far the easiest way to buy Bitcoin.
2: Yeah. And now I would generally say, though, like compare the price you're getting on the Cash App to like what you get on local Bitcoins or what you get on uh, other exchanges uh, that, you know, like Kraken, for example, is a good exchange Um, Mm -hmm. and and see like comparison shop, but also like comparison shop like the UX uh square has a or cash app has an f- excellent ux um mm-hmm. and it also has like fiat deals uh f- on there so uh there there's different trade-offs between the i off. think another one if if you're sort of a
3: shall we say like conscientious consumer um you know when you when you buy money off certain exchanges those fees are going towards further shitcoining. coining yep. Um when you pay those fees on cash app yes you have to pay those fees but is going towards a company that uh, actually understands the true value and purpose of bitcoin and holds those principles dear to its heart
2: yeah that's a good point and it might actually be good if cash app is gouging us uh, because that means that they're getting more revenue and that means that jack can go to the board of directors and be like we need to invest more in bitcoin look it's growing on our income statement uh, and then maybe we should hold some on our balance sheet. You know, like this is this is how the uh, system works. So this is how um, you can tithe
3: extra if you do yeah. that tithe to buy your your bitcoins, and then part of that tithe also goes to a company that helps Bitcoin get better. Exactly, it's a
2: circular economy. it's got the flow going. It, it's uh, what was it like? It's trickle up economics. Is uh, how it works. <laughs> Ronald Reagan yeah. did not know about trickle up economics uh, and Bitcoin, so it's okay that he thought trickle down worked, but it does not. <laughs> yeah, he was still and living I mean, in a dollar world. Poor yeah. guy.
4: Yeah, unfortunate. Yeah, I mean, look, Cash App went and uh, I think they open sourced uh, some cold storage procedure as well. Mm-hmm. So that's yes. an example of a contribution as well.
3: Yes, and the fact that they're they're thinking on those terms, it's, it's very exciting. Um, the, the whole team is just, you know, excited about all kinds of cool Bitcoin features they can add. Um, and I, 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 I'm I'm interested to see if more features get added fast or slow. And I would make the argument that either one would be a, a good thing. Fast being because, uh, you know, they're just on the ball, and they're taking stuff up, and they're, they're making things better. But... The case for why, like slow adoption of, say, like you know, maybe it'll take a while for Lightning to really get integrated, um, or even just a uh, a a uh, sort of uh, a wallet where you hold the keys attached to Cash App, because right now it's it's custodial. Um, these are the kind of questions that I, I trust that Cash App is is spending a lot of time thinking about in a in a very deep, meaningful way. It's not. It's not merely. Oh, let's just put out a wallet just because. It's like you know, if people want to go take their money off Cash App, they have a withdrawal function, um, but they can they can take the time to really get that UX correct, um, yeah. and build a fantastic pro- uh, product.
2: Yeah. Hey, Michael, Cash App is not sponsoring this episode. It's next episode. So oh. oh, you, oh. Uh, hold. No, I'm kidding. They're not sponsoring next episode. But uh, check uh, out Cracking,
3: guys. Yeah. Shout yeah. out Jesse Powell. <laughs>
4: it's <laughs> like pan- digital panhandling like hoping for a sponsorship by pre-shilling
2: <laughs> well you know like put in put in the work and then you'll get paid later that's kind of yeah that's that's the way that's it works
3: they they say that in this in this new economy you know adam carolla likes to say you're gonna have to do some jobs for free yeah pay it know, I, I take up i take up shilling you know yeah. i shill born to shill <laughs>
2: But I mean, it's 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 kind of it's reality-based chilling. Like I I, I really would not mind uh, taking them on as sponsors because, like, yeah, the reality is that I would recommend it. Now, if you're concerned about privacy and you don't want to do KYC AML, then I don't recommend uh, right, Cash App. I recommend earning Bitcoin using BTC Pay Server in a self-hosted mm-hmm. manner using Tor. Uh, you know, like there's lots of ways that you could really dialing your privacy if that is your number one concern and i would never advise someone to uh you know compromise on that if it's a value that they hold dearly absolutely yeah. and then same thing for like the you know there's the the lending stuff like unchained capital mm-hmm. and block where you give them your bitcoin as collateral and then you can borrow fiat against it it's like Okay, if that if that meets your financial needs and that's a good product for you, then you should use that. Like, I recommend that. If it doesn't, then I don't recommend that you use it. It's, it seems like it, 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 would it is funny that people but, people get upset about about these things. Like, you know, because I don't have to categorically be opposed or for it. It's just like, does it make sense for? Yeah, someone person? was
3: pointing out the the KYC stuff, and I was like, like, yeah, if you like. No one, no one said that if you want private bitcoins that you should go, you know, buy through Jack. Yeah, uh, it's kind of assumed that you're you're willing to take up some uh, compromises on that. But hey, you know, I I literally use Cash App all the time. Um, I have the the uh, Cash App card, uh, which I got to design myself. It has a little Bitcoin logo and my name on it, and uh, you know, I get ten percent off every time I buy meat at Whole Foods. Other so it's financial- also helping Bitcoin carnivory.
2: Yeah, beautiful and system. I think that if you were to draw a Bitcoin symbol on your credit card with any other financial institution, they would like shut down your account. And you yeah, they're flagging that pot. immediately. Yeah. yeah,
4: they'd be like, "Oh, what's this transaction you sent to Iran or Cuba or whatever?"
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. U- UBS would be like, "Are you money laundering?"
4: <laughs> yeah, what,
3: was it UBS? They just got yeah, fined for like what three point seven
2: billion? Yeah. Euros it some insane. Or it was like
4: equivalent to like their annual profit or something ridiculous. <laughs> But I mean, the thing, the challenge here is like, obviously I'm no fan of AML laws, but I think a lot of these banks, they just, it's just legitimately really hard to comply with AML laws. I think Mm -hmm. so many banks get done on it. And in many cases, it's like they, because they didn't like spend all this additional money on certain systems to catch certain things. It just, what essentially governments and regulators do is they deputize banks to kind of do their bidding.
3: What's the term for like the the there's a you know regulation that people want simply because they're the big people who want to stay in power, so they keep the the small guys out. So it's like you know some... regulatory capture, regulatory fire. capture, correct? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I could see it as as a form of that
2: um, that being well. One there, dimension there's of that, it. Michael, and then there's just like if you kind of bring in the concept of like social scalability, like it's not a socially scalable system AML KYC because mm-hmm. like. Everyone has a different idea of why someone should be on, you know, an OFAC list or not Um, why someone should be getting sanctioned or not like there's and so you, you end up seeing that there's like tension between different payment systems that are either kicking people off their platform or not. Uh, and different parts of the political spectrum and all of, or internationally, you know, is Russia or is Iran a bad country or not, like different countries have different views on that. Sometimes for for reasons like, well, we have a, a gas pipeline from Russia going to our country and we need to pay for our natural gas. Um, but in any case, like to me, like it's it's self-evident that Bitcoin is the solution, right? And and financial institutions should be focused on borrowing and lending. They should be focused on credit intermediation. And that should be like, they shouldn't be focused on policing the payment system. Like the payment yeah. system could be entirely separate from the credit system. And it would solve this problem entirely. Now we can talk about like credit scores and stuff like that, and the importance of creating a cryptographic web of trust and maybe how Lightning fits into that. But uh in any case I think we uh, need Nick Batia to yeah. help us with that one. Yeah.
4: Yeah, that'd be a good episode. I'd listen to that. <laughs> we sh-
2: we should uh we should have a big like um finance enlightening uh episode or series of episodes to to discuss different uh things that seem to be on the horizon. We'll see it's all very speculative right now. There's very little people, very few people using lightning, um, on a, on a relative basis. Like uh, there's not like, yeah. we're not at a million. There's um, only
3: $2 million yeah. in this thing. <laughs> who who well, that's it that the Public
2: channels, that right? Yeah. Well, I, I, I don't think that there's that many private channels. Um, obviously there's no way for me to know, but just intuitively based on the, the conversations I've had with different people that, Maybe, yeah, maybe there's yeah. a shadow network that I don't know about, and maybe we should be creating that shadow network, and uh, maybe Which we already we are, have already are. Yeah.
3: <laughs> maybe uh, it already
2: exists, yeah. Uh, but it, in any case, yeah, there's... I, I wonder how many Lightning users there are, or people who have used Lightning in the past three months, maybe like 5,000 people, <laughs> 1,000 people. I, yeah. I'm just imagining how, how much lamer
3: fight club the movie would have been if instead of blowing up the credit card buildings it's just like some some dudes hanging out coding up their own alternative financial, financial system. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Nerding out about like opening the
3: channels. First, with the first other. rule of Lightning Network is tell everyone about Lightning Network. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Tweet the shit out of it. Put it in your Twitter handle. That's the first rule. And yeah, yeah, it's funny because like, we've started off the episode talking about like evangelism and stuff. And, uh, I just find it fun to evangelize. I don't really, it, it is kind of work in a sense of like, it's at this point, part of my job, but, uh, it's just so much fun.
4: Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I really enjoyed, you know, running the podcast and just, you know, thinking of good topics to interview people on and all that. It's just, yeah, it's fun.
3: I, I'll, I'll talk to people about Bitcoin and after a while they they start to uh, e- express uh, feel like feel, bad feels because they're taking up so much of my time with all these questions and they think they are new questions or whatever and I'm I've I'm, to explain it's like no this is what I do and if you weren't asking me these questions I would have nothing to do this afternoon I'd have so. to go find a stranger online to <laughs> yeah, who's yeah. asking questions
2: yeah
3: <laughs> I'm going to be answering Bitcoin questions. You should, you know, continue asking them. Yep,
5: yeah.
4: that's right. All right,
2: we're, we're past an hour. Um, I, yeah. I feel like we didn't get our guests to talk enough. I feel like we had like three co-hosts and we were all talking. Uh, oh, you
3: know, it's a bit
4: more of a conversational episode. Well,
3: yeah, one, one last, uh, you know, question for Stefan. Go on. You are in Australia, which is located in the future
4: (laughs) that's right it's saturday morning for me
3: yeah how is bitcoin doing in the future
4: ah it's uh it's fantastic you guys would really love to see it here like i mean we've got like this amazing lightning setup and all these people who are tithing I mean, we don't have the cash app over here, but we've got a lot of tithers and, you know, that's really raising the price of Bitcoin. So I hear uh, like a, a ritual animal slaughter in the background. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's, um, that's the Bitcoin carnivores out the back. They're just, you know, it's the uh, weekly uh, cow slaughtering. So, uh, look, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fantastic future where many people are healthier and they are happier because they are believers in the Bitcoin carnivore vision of the future
2: so is it with this kind of time traveling that you were able to get jack on your podcast that you knew that he was going to be tweeting about it so you were able to jump on it immediately that's that's exactly correct so i knew in advance and that was why
4: i was able to put in my kind of request tweet to get him on and then you know when people saw the tweet they saw mine first and then they all hit like and retweet on my request and that was what bubbled it up into jack's attention so really my advice would be if you want to be a successful Bitcoin podcaster, you should move to Australia.
2: Fair enough. Fair enough. If you want to
3: fail at Bitcoin podcasting,
2: live in New York and Austin. Yeah. New York is actually an hour worse than Austin, believe it or not.
3: <laughs> no, it's an hour better. Oh, yeah. You're yeah. You're, a far, you're a, I'm, more I'm into the the I mean, this, by the way, is why Silicon Valley has so much trouble with Bitcoin. Do you understand this? Yes. (laughs) We're just lucky that the big
2: tech hub isn't in Hawaii. Well, maybe we can move it there. We'll see. Or or (laughs) we'll move it to the moon. That's right. Oh, that'd be perfect.
4: Imagine the lag time on your podcast then.
2: (laughs) Well, no, I mean, all the guests and viewers would be on the moon as well. So it would actually be very... If, uh, oh, Elon, our, Elon
3: Musk would have some offices and on Mars
2: our Bitcoin citadels on the moon yeah yeah
3: oh it'd be per it'd be, you know the moon is a harsh mistress is a, is a Bitcoin book
2: it is and it's always been a part of the Bitcoin culture of to the moon and yeah. we we go
3: to the moon so that we can you know if if uh, fiat inflationistas try to attack us we throw rocks at them and it has the effect of large nuclear weaponry. So don't mess with us.
4: Don't mess with us. We go to the moon Bitcoin Citadels, not because it's easy, but because it's hard.
3: Money.
2: <laughs> yes. <laughs> hard money. <laughs> All right, guys. Um, let's, let's wrap up the episode. This is going to be one of our much longer episodes. Let's see. where it past an hour and a half of uh recording good Good. yeah um i guess my my last question would be uh what was your research process like before your uh interview with jack and uh and elizabeth stark of course uh and how 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 did you come up with the questions you were going to ask and were you like very nervous because i don't think that i could handle the pressure (laughs) that you were under uh
4: look so i obviously went Mm -hmm. and looked online for many of Jack's interviews. I looked obviously at the Joe Rogan one. I listened to that. And then there was a lot of commentary and a lot of people saying, Oh, you got to talk about censorship and whatever. And for me, it was like, no, no, I'm, I'm a Bitcoin podcaster. I'm not really going to go that angle. He's already been doing that angle. Like he's many people have asked him those questions. Uh, And yeah, look, so obviously just did a lot of, um, looking into cash app. And obviously, Lightning Network now, to be fair, with Lightning Labs, I always, I always, I obviously knew a little bit more about Lightning Labs already, just having interviewed you know, some of the staff, you know, the, the, the fantastic team. Um, so yeah, look, I think it was basically just go and read as much as I could about the different products and offerings, try to understand a little bit more about the culture around Cash App as well, what Cash App is trying to achieve. and yeah, just basically come up with some notes and questions and then just obviously layer on top of that what would the typical what would a bitcoiner want to know, right? So very much it's a it's trying to think about what would my listeners want to hear, what concerns would they have uh and that is kind of how I build the questions and build the sort of structure of a of an episode.
3: I guess the easy part there is that it's Basically, what do I want to know?
4: (laughs) Yeah, look, I think that that is something. It's kind of like interviews of Bitcoiners by a Bitcoiner themselves makes it more real and just makes it more relatable. Yeah.
3: By the way, the Cash App Culture, they have SoundCloud rap songs about Cash App. So I'm looking forward to those being all about Bitcoin on Cash App.
4: Yeah, I mean, people refer to the Cash App in like rap songs and stuff, so it's pretty good.
3: This is the future. Gen Z, make it happen.
2: Yeah, it's funny because that, that came out of the the uh, Lightning trust chain, and uh, Jack obviously took the uh, torch. Uh, now, I see on my feed that uh, Fidelity is uh, taking the torch next. Wow. So, uh, this institutional, is, the torch
3: chain. Yeah, the, it just the, became the, institutional. Yeah. So
2: for us, uh, retail- The virus people, is spreading. Yeah. <laughs> It, the torch is no longer affordable for mere uh retail <laughs> investors.
3: What, what what is it up to now uh in oh. satoshis and the dollar equivalent?
2: Yeah, I think it was uh 3 million satoshis uh th- sorry, 3.6 million satoshis. So that is 0.03 BTC I think uh which is in dollars $118. Ah, okay, so I think I can still afford it now. It's institutional money now. Yeah. You can't afford it yeah. hey, too, late. I, 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 too hey, late. Excuse me. I'm the
3: president of the Satoshi Nakamoto Institute. It,
2: wow. Oh. You're right. You're right. And it so is Michael, one of the largest Bitcoin endowments uh, <laughs> among institutional uh, money.
4: My, Michael has been institutional money all along. So yeah. institutional money wasn't coming. It was always here.
2: Yeah. It was one of the first institutions to invest in Bitcoin uh, in 2014, so way ahead of the curve. Hey, 2013. <laughs> well, did the uh, did did we had we received donations in 2013? That's a good point. Right. Uh, which, I should the say treasurer to know, to know gave us the first donation. We should
3: uh, go ask him if he remembers when it was. Yeah. Or we can go look at the wallet.
2: I would actually call it a, a, an endowment contribution. The, the right? endowment, yes, yes. <laughs> In any case, yeah, I think that uh, it, maybe we could get the Nakamoto Institute uh, Twitter handle to take the lightning torch. Um, I'm, I'm I'm down. Yeah, we. Yeah. I mean, uh, could we use the lightning power users node? Uh, so you could. Uh, yeah, we could use, yeah, I could just generate an invoice with uh, that node. that I've yeah, on I've used of us. that node before in the Torch, but it's for a different entity in this case. It's for an institutional asset class investor. <laughs> yeah, well,
3: I mean, it would be coming from from that account, and it's still yeah. a non-custodial. Uh, oh,
2: yeah, for sure. Uh yeah. got to make sure uh, you've got enough incoming uh, capacity. I'd love to make that happen. Uh, yeah, so let's see. Fidelity's got it, so let's see yeah, Fidelity it pays it. Do you want to <laughs> log in on the Nakamoto Institute uh, Twitter account, and I'll give you an invoice for whatever the amount is? Uh, yes, hold on. Um, should we close off the episode beforehand? All right, Stefan, thank you so much for coming on the episode and chit-chatting with us about... Bitcoin and lightning and everything around sure. it. Journalism, oh, well, podcasts.
4: Oh, look, thanks very much for having me on the show. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure. And, um, you know,
5: it's, uh, it's, it's a great podcast. So big fan. Cheers. Have a good one. Well, let's talk about friendships for a minute. Here's how you know if someone's your friend. A, you can tell them bad news. And they'll listen. They won't tell you why, you know, you're stupid and and why that bad thing happened to you and how something worse happened to them once and, you know, derail the whole conversation. You can actually tell them bad news and they'll listen. So that's a good thing. And then, this is a weirder thing, you can tell them good news and they'll help you celebrate. And that's a really good way of deciding who you should have around you. Because if you have someone around you, you know, something good happens to you, and you're kind of afraid to even admit it because, you know, God, something good happened to you. It's like, you let that be known and it'll certainly be taken away. So, you know, you you come out and you sort of tell someone half-heartedly that something good happened to you. and They they give you a whack and then talk about, you know, the great thing that happened to them three years ago. Or worse, the great thing that happened to someone that they knew three years ago. You know, it's like... Go away from that person. They're not helpful to you, and they're not helpful to themselves either. And so you want to surround yourself. You've got to think about this. You've got to surround yourself with people who want the best for the best part of you. You can hang around with weasels and losers that are trying to pull you down to justify the fact that they're spiraling downhill as well. And you know, the upside of that is you don't have to have any responsibility and you can all whine about how wretched life is, you know, so that's pretty attractive. But I would say it's also a me- bad medium to long-term plan. And so it's, it's acceptable and desirable to try to surround yourself with people who are facilitating your development. You know, and you might say, well, I've got people around, I know them well, you know, they're, they're, they're not doing that well and, and they're And they don't fit into that category. It's like, what's your point? What are you going to do with them, exactly? If they'll they'll listen and cooperate with you and move towards a better future, great. If they don't pay any attention and they keep doing the same damn things over and over and they're not going anywhere and it's painful, then maybe the proper thing to do is say, you just have your misery. I'll go off and have my life. And maybe you'll wake up at some point in the future and think that's a better way of being. Because just putting up with it is, well, they call that enabling, right? You put up with that sort of behavior, you're providing tacit consent for it, and even tacit approval. It's like, it's a bad idea. You have, I would say, both the right and the responsibility to surround yourself with people who are good for the best part of you.